0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So, the outcome of that is that
1: because I think it's a sales-driven organization, then my defenses come up. I'm not willing to give as much information as I would do if I thought that they had more of my needs truly at heart rather than just trying to sell me something.
2: Representativeness doesn't seem wrong on the surface, right? If you're using observations, evidence, refine your judgments. That doesn't make you dumb. That
1: makes you Sherlock Holmes. Well, I guess it must depend upon whether you've got your glasses on, because I don't know how a duck can look like a platypus. Oh,
2: I thought you were going to go back to the male model question. I'm like, Colin, (laughs) you know, hypothetical, (laughs) leave the glasses off, squint a lot. Right, Colin, I've got a hypothetical question for you. I always like them. You and I have been friends for many years now, but suppose that you and I had just met, and you were trying to determine the likelihood that I was a professional male model. Mm-hmm. Are you with me so that far? would be
1: a difficult.
2: Well, it would be. It'd be quite difficult. But there you go. So, but you got to produce an estimate. So, how likely is it that that Ryan Hamilton, this person I've just met for the first time, how likely is it that he's a male model?
1: Uh, on a scale of one to 10 is probably not very high. Let me stop
2: you. You don't need to actually answer that question. This is a hypothetical. Remember, <laughs> we've got to find a way to make it through the rest of this podcast. episode together. <laughs> so maybe hold off on giving the actual okay. answer. Okay. My question for you, Colin, without you giving a number is how would you come to that number?
1: What is the mental process that you would use to create that estimate? I would look at other male models, or look when I say look at them, I would look at them in my mind and go, does Ryan fit this profile? Is he a, an attractive-looking male with a good-looking body? Hmm, this is all influencing the number that I'm going to give.
2: <laughs> we don't need to come to a number, Colin. This is a <laughs> hypothetical question. But what you were describing, this process that you were describing – Yep. is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So what you right. described is what decision scientists call representativeness. Okay. So this is a heuristic. So let's go back and define this weird word heuristic. We've used it a number of times before, but it's, it's such a weird word that we want to make sure everybody's on board. So I know you've got a nice clean definition or example of heuristic that you use.
1: Yeah. So heuristic for me, the best way of describing it is it's a rule of thumb. Good. So it's not exact, but we use it to shorten our decision-making process. So it's a rule of thumb. It's a decision shortcut. It's a way that you make
2: complex tasks easier for you, cognitively easier for you, faster. And importantly, like Colin said, they're not going to be precise. They're not going to be 100% accurate, but they're pretty good. They get us most of the way there. Now, when we talk about heuristics in decision sciences, there are individual level heuristics. So you might have rules that you've made up for yourself about what kind of lunch you're going to order during the week or where you're going to go for lunch. Or even some brand loyalty can be heuristics, right? So if you always buy the same brand of shampoo, that may have started as a heuristic that you use to simplify your choice. Sure. But there are also these universal heuristics that seem to be stuff that almost everyone uses A lot of the time, just because of the way that our brains are wired, making decisions in these ways are just easier for us, given the strengths and weaknesses of the human mind. Right. And if you are a decision scientist, you're really interested in those. And we've talked about several of them. So uh, Kahneman and Tversky, who we've mentioned a number of times, Kahneman won the Nobel Prize in economics. They identified a bunch of these heuristics. And one of them was the representativeness heuristic which is what we're going to talk about. So determining the likelihood that something is going to happen or that somebody belongs to some class of people, the likelihood that I am a male model, the process that you described, where you bring to mind examples of that, and then you compare this particular instance, me, to that class or that group of male models, and say, how similar are they? How representative is Ryan Hamilton of this class of male models that I've brought to mind. That is this simplifying way of making that decision.
1: So basically, I think the example I always like on this this topic is, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's a, a great way of summarizing the representativeness heuristic. And the reason it's a heuristic is because sometimes it'll be a goose or a swan or a platypus, but usually it's a duck. Right? So it's usually pretty good, but there are these instances where it goes wrong. And that's what makes it interesting from a decision science standpoint is when does it go wrong and why? And what does that tell us about decision making?
1: Well, I guess it must depend upon whether you've got your glasses on, because I don't know how a duck can look like a platypus. Oh, I thought you were going to go back to the male model
2: question. I'm like, Colin, <laughs> you know, hypothetical, <laughs> leave the glasses off, squint a lot.
1: so i guess i'm sitting here thinking the difference between expectation and this representative bit so what i was thinking is i'm going to this restaurant i'm expecting it to be good it's normally good the place looks nice etc cetera, etc cetera. or i'm going to the dentist I know this is going to be painful. So I, I guess I'm trying to balance the difference between this representativeness and expectation. Does that make sense? Yeah, so expectations
2: definitely play into this. And I say, I think the where they mostly play into it is how you form the category or the group that you're going to compare this instance against. So, for example, you've got expectations about what a male model looks like. All right? And so when you're pulling examples to mind to form that category, that category was defined by your expectations. Somebody from a different culture, maybe, or with a different set of experiences might have a completely different set of expectations. And so they would form a different category, and then that would be a different representation. Right. Expectations absolutely play into this, and I think they do in that way. So let me give you the one of the prototypical representativeness examples. Okay. And this is from Kahneman and Tversky. It was published back in 1974. It's so famous, it's come to be known as the Linda Problem. Okay. Lots of people have run variants of this over the years. So this is Linda. Linda is 31 years old, single, outspoken, and very bright. She majored in philosophy. As a student, she was deeply concerned with issues of discrimination and social justice and also participated in anti-nuclear demonstrations, right? So let's go back in time to the early 70s. You get this description of this woman. They then have a series of descriptions of Linda, organizations that she belongs to, jobs that she does. And they ask people to write, how probable are each of these descriptions? And usually when they run this study, they'll give people a whole list of like 10 or 12 of them. But the two that they were interested in is, one says Linda is a bank teller, And the other one says, Linda is a bank teller that is active in the feminist movement. Okay. So which of those two seems more probable based on the description of
1: Linda? The second. Yeah. The bank teller who's... So she may be a bank teller, but
2: she's... Exactly. The feminist bank teller, right? That sounds more likely. The problem with that, and this brilliantly, this problem was constructed very specifically, that's impossible, So it's impossible for it to be more probable for her to be a feminist bank teller than it is for her to be a bank teller, because the set of feminist bank tellers is smaller than the set of all bank tellers.
1: Right. I see.
2: So mathematically, that is just wrong. But it feels right because Linda is so representative of... Feminist philosophy, our kind of prototype of what a feminist might look like. And so she doesn't seem like she should be a bank teller. The only way we can make that work is if she's a a feminist bank teller.
0: Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com contact. When you
1: start to tie that together, it was making me think of if someone's got a political view of X, Y, and Z, I'm not going to get into politics, but you would either go, yeah, they're Democratic or they're Republican. Now, you may not know if they're Democratic or Republican, but given their view, then you can surmise that that's the case.
2: Yeah, because they are representative
1: of your prototype of that type of person. But it's also my prototype of of that person. Uh, Yes, exactly. Your
2: expectations of what a Democrat or a
1: Republican should look like. Again, a podcast wouldn't be a podcast without us talking about internet companies (laughs) and broadband and stuff. So if I move into an area and I go, I'm now going to get an internet company, or now going to get broadband and TV, etc. cable company, then my expectation, or in fact, it wouldn't be actually thinking about it, it would be, it would be the representativeness. So in other words, I would turn around and go, yeah, this is typical. When I phoned them up, they kept me waiting for 20 minutes. Then they try to sell me 50 million things that I don't want and blah, 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 blah. And And when they turn up, they don't turn up properly and they haven't got the right tools and all the rest of it which is probably an exaggeration of what I think of cable companies, but that's along the right lines. Yeah, I mean, so think about it like the first time
2: that you got internet service, high-speed service. It was a new experience, and it could have come from a phone company. It could have come from a cable company. There were various different ways. It could have been an independent provider. But there were certain things about the interaction that probably caused you to say, oh, this is like a cable company. Or this is like a phone company. And from that, you then like brought in all of those associations because they were representative of that category of service provider.
1: Okay. So if I broadened it, I could go, well, actually, this is about, this is a sales-driven organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they're being quite aggressive. They are very hot at the sales. I'm putting them in the category of, sales-driven organization, because that's representative of my experience of sales-driven organization. Whereas this one may be in the category of small business or a small independent business, and they act in a certain different way.
2: Where this comes to matter is then when you use those expectations to derive some kind of probability estimates. So from there, you're going to say, okay, well, how likely is something going to happen? Well, because sales organizations act in this way, I'm going to expect that this group is too, or because cable companies act this way, I'm going to expect this group to also act that way.
1: So the outcome of that is that because I think it's a sales driven organization, then my defenses come up. I'm not willing to give as much information as I would do if I thought that they had more of my needs truly at heart rather than just trying to sell me something. Potentially, right?
2: I mean, people use these probability judgments to make all kinds of decisions that they make. And if you feel that it's a high probability that you're going to be abused by this organization, then yeah, your defenses will go up. Let me give you a specific example of how this goes wrong. Because representativeness doesn't seem wrong on the surface, right? If you're using observations, evidence to refine your judgments, that doesn't make you dumb. That makes you Sherlock Holmes, right? I mean, that should make us smarter if we're adjusting our estimates based on the fact that Lenda seems like a feminist. That should make us better. The problem happens is when we neglect what are called base rates. So that we should have recognized that bank tellers are more common than feminist bank tellers. So it can't be that the, the reverse is true. If something is really, really unlikely, representativeness can go haywire. So let me give you an, another example if you've ever seen a really attractive person and thought, oh, that person must be a model, or if you've ever seen a like a young athlete and go, oh, that that kid's definitely gonna go pro.
1: Are you trying to subtly put in before I give a number at the this end of the podcast? This podcast will not end with are you,
2: are you, you <laughs> giving a number. That was a hypothetical <laughs>
1: Are you trying to put in this sort of image of athlete just to sort of try to influence us in the decision making about whether you're a male model or not? So I know you've never seen me play, but if you've ever
2: s- and anyone who has <laughs> seen me play basketball would say, oh, for sure, he plays professional, right? <laughs> for, for example, right. hypothetically. The reality is, though, that so few people are models and so few people kids go pro in sports that even if we were to adjust for that observation so even if we were to to see this just staggeringly beautiful person or this really really talented athlete the adjustments we should be making are off of this really really low base rate so we should adjust up or down so i've got some stats here if you're ready for it yep any guess as to what percentage of high school basketball players go pro five percent 0.03%. 0.03%. So if you see a high school basketball player who's just phenomenal, you should say to your friend or to the parent of the kid, wow, your kid is so talented. I bet that kid has like a 0.06% a chance of going pro. And the parent, if they didn't neglect base rate, would realize you were really paying that kid a tremendous compliment. <laughs>
1: I can see why you're so popular.
2: People get over it because I'm so attractive <laughs> that they just they look past anything else that I do. Um, but yeah, so are, are we neglecting those base rates? So you know, pulling this into a business context, if you are engaged with a, a company that is representative of some class of companies that you don't like, are you then going to dramatically overestimate the likelihood of a service failure? Right. So you've been in these cases before where. Somebody will say, oh, well, should we buy from these guys? And somebody will say, oh, they're just like these other guys, and these other guys produced a a product failure. So these guys are are for sure going to produce another product failure. So you're tarring everybody with the same brush. Yes, exactly. And you're really overestimating or underestimating things based on the fact that people are representative of this category.
1: So what you're trying to tell me is that there is one cable company or internet company in the world that does a good job. It's just that I've never found it.
2: <laughs> I did not say that. I I want to be on record. I
1: did not say that. <laughs> we can go with it. It's hypothetically possible. Okay, interesting. So the danger is, is that you group everyone together and tar everybody with the same brush, which I guess could either work positively or negatively, can't it? In the sense of you either go normally, I don't know, going on vacation to this type of resort is good, or normally and go into this type of, uh, or getting this product or service is bad, and you tar everybody with the same brush. Representatives think narrowly about probability
2: estimates. So when you're trying to determine what's the likelihood of something, so what's the likelihood that I'll have a good time at this resort? And you would say, does this seem like the type of resort for which I would have a good time? And For judgments like that, you're probably gonna be accurate a lot of the time. Where we, get, where we get off is when we focus on really high or really low probability events we neglect the base rates
1: so what is this classic question what does it mean we need to do what's the so what what do we need to to do about this So the short answer solution, which
2: is hard to implement. There's a reason that scientists study the representativeness heuristic, and that's because it is so reliable and so hardwired into our brains. It's hard to overcome, but the way that we overcome it is by being clear-eyed about base rates. So before we make any adjustments, kind of what's the likelihood that a company will produce a product that fails? Okay, adjust up or down from that based on additional evidence that we have. But if we don't think about that upfront, what's the likelihood absent any other information? Then there's a danger that we'll drastically overestimate or underestimate something because we're not looking at it clearly enough and we're relying on this heuristic and it'll lead us astray.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, it's about just again, understanding that this is what happens with customers and you've got to try to understand where they're coming from. And as Ryan's just said, this would take a long time to get people to change their minds. And therefore, you need to bear that in mind as well, moving forward. That's a fantastic implication.
2: What are you, so looking at it from a customer experience standpoint, the experience that you are creating for your customers, what is that representative of? How are they likely to categorize you? based on what you're communicating.
1: Yeah, that was, so where do you fit into this is a sales-driven organization? Is that's what's in our customers' minds? Because at the end of the day, if that happens, then the customer behavior is likely to be this. Is what's in the customers' minds is that here's a new product and I'm an early adopter for this technology and it's likely to fail, then again, you need to understand that's the case and what will be in customers' minds. And it may be the case, but what you do, how you communicate it, et cetera, et cetera, would therefore be different. So I think it's a question of going down into the detail and understanding what what are customers, what's in their minds and how does that represent it to your organization and what categories do you fit in? And is that the category you want to fit in and what can you do to change, basically? Okay, so before we finish, I'm just going to give Ryan a score. <laughs> And that's all the time we have for today. (laughs) Well, let me just say it's lower than five. In fact, I don't know if I can get any lower than two or one, but there you go. So... Well, I never actually said the scale. (laughs) So
2: you pick a number
1: and then I'll tell you what it's between. Absolutely. I I was clearly referring to the fact that zero is high. So thanks everyone for listening. My mother thinks I'm a
2: very handsome boy.
1: (laughs) thanks so much for everyone listening today if you've got any thoughts of what you would like to hear on the podcast then please drop us a, an email at contact at beyond that's contact at beyond and if you get a chance leave us a review that would really help thanks so much bye-bye